Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, called The Attitude of Christ. There are groups that this is the central issue. Charles Taze Russell, the founder of Jehovah's Witnesses, denied the deity of Christ. He denied the Trinity. He denied salvation by grace alone through faith alone. About every essential of the historic Christian faith is denied by Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, you might say, why? Well, the issue largely centers itself around whether or not Jesus is God. And maybe you have questions like that as well. Maybe you're wondering, well, what texts actually prove that Jesus is God? This is one of them. Please note it. Jesus existed in very form as God. The word for form there, I'm going to get a little technical this morning, but I think it's going to be worth our time. The word for form there in the New American Standard Bible is morphe, M-O-R-P-H-E. So it, it means this. Morphe is properly the nature or essence, not in the abstract, but as actually subsisting in the individual and retained as long as the individual itself exists. Morphe, morphe theu is the Greek original of this, is the divine nature actually and inseparably subsisting in the person of Christ. For the interpretation of the form of God, is, it is sufficient to say that one, it includes the whole nature and essence of deity and is inseparable from, from them since they could have no actual, actual existence without it. And that it does not include in itself anything accidental or separable, such as particular modes or manifestations. So some groups might say something like this. Oh, well, Jesus was simply the manifestation of the Father, something called modalism. No, that's not what is actually happening here. The Son, God the Son, is God. And once you say that he has the nature of God, God can't become God nor can he stop being God, amen? If God is God, then he's God. And the Bible teaches this clearly. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14 says, the Word became incarnated. He became flesh and dwelt among us, John 1, 14. And we beheld what? His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ in the incarnation was God in a human body. And since he pre-existed as God, he never stopped being God. Here's the way to understand this, and it's profound, but I think it's a simple way to get it. He didn't stop being God. He added onto himself humanity. It was not the subtraction of deity, but the addition of humanity. God became a man in the person of Christ. Amen? Now, this is what Paul is saying. He's saying he existed in very nature, God. Before the world was, Christ was there. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in a love relationship. Colossians 2.9, a good parallel passage says, In Jesus, in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. 
The true meaning of morphe, form, or form of God, is confirmed in its reoccurrence in a corresponding phrase in verse 7, the form of a servant. Jesus was fully human. He became a servant, and he was also fully God. His nature was full humanity and full deity. And this is the mystery of the beauty of the incarnation of Christ. Calvin puts it this way. The form of God means here his majesty. For as man is known by the appearance of his form, so the majesty which shines forth in God is his figure. Creedily, we say it this way. He is light of light. We must note that form of God does not refer simply to his external appearance, but to his being. There is only one God by nature, Galatians 4.8. You can call anything a God. We know the God of the Bible says, you shall have no other gods before me, with a small g. You can't have any idols. You don't worship those things. They're all false. But once you say Jesus is God by nature, that makes him the true God. Because there's only one true God by nature. Everybody with me? Galatians 4.8 is the key verse here. So B.B. Warfield puts it this way. Paul did not simply say Jesus was God. He says he was in the form of God, employing a turn of speech which throws emphasis upon our Lord's possession of the specific quality of God. Form is a term which expresses the sum of those characterizing qualities which make a thing the precise thing that it is inside and out. When our Lord is said to be in the form of God, therefore... He is declared in the most express manner possible to be all that God is, to possess the whole fullness of attributes, attributes which make God, God. So Jesus was God in a human body, and he veiled his glory in humanity. We got a look at it on the Mount of Transfiguration where he goes up with Peter, James, and John and all of a sudden he's transfigured before them. Remember that? And his face shone like the sun and his garments were gleaming bright. And Moses and Elijah were there, the law and the prophets. And they talked with Jesus and then all of a sudden they fade into the background and the only one that is left there is Jesus because he is the fulfillment. He is the sum total, if you will, of the law and the prophets. It all points to him. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me, O God, to do thy will. Jesus Christ, God, became a man and dwelt among us. And we got a little uh, you know, preview, if you will. But had he displayed his full glory walking around, no one could have survived. No one could have looked upon him and lived. And so he came and dwelt among us. When he prays the great high priestly prayer the night before he's killed on the cross, he says, now glorify me together with thyself, Father, John seventeen five, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus Christ is the creator and sustainer of the universe. Colossians 1.15 puts it this way. He is the visible manifestation of the invisible God. Jesus said in John 14.9, If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Amen? If you've seen me, you've seen God. How can you say, show us the Father? And in Colossians and in John 1, it goes on to say this, And all things were made by him and for him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and that life is the light 
of men. The Bible clearly declares that Jesus Christ is creator and sustainer of the universe. And Paul's point is that if this is what God was willing to do, to leave the glories of heaven and come down on a saving mission, then can't you have an attitude towards others that would be like his heart toward you? What rings in the background of the text is the application that it started with, have this mind in you. If he was willing to go from the heights of the glories of heaven and condescend to become human and then die the ignominious, terrible death of the cross, then can't we love each other? Can't we put others before ourselves? That's where Paul is going. And so Hebrews 1 puts it this way. Jesus is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, and he upholds all things by the word of his power, Hebrews 1, 3, when he had made purification for sins of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So form of God does not refer simply to his appearance, but to his being. To conclude on a little bit of a technical section here, morphe, morphe form refers to that form which truly and fully expresses the being which underlies it. The phrase in the form of God is best interpreted against the background of the glory of God, the shining light in which, according to the Old Testament and intertestamental literature, God was pictured. The form of God is understood in the glory of God or the doxa of God or the light of God or his effulgence, if you will. And so Jesus Christ came and dwelt among us and we saw God in him. Of course, veiled in his humanity, no doubt. But we saw his power on display over forces like the, the demons and the devil and the sea and even death when he says, Lazarus, come forth. He shows you the power of who he is. Boyce puts it this way. There is no real knowledge of the Father apart from the knowledge of the Son. In fact, the Bible says if you don't have the Son... 1 John 2.23, you don't have the Father. You can't know God without knowing Jesus Christ, who is the singular way to God. Now, I remember when I first heard that Jesus was God, it kind of confused me. I had heard things like he's the son of God, and, but then I heard about his deity, and I was a little bit confused because trying to think about these angles with my finite little mind can be difficult. But nonetheless, this is what the Bible teaches, that God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. And he did not regard equality, look at verse 6 again, with God a thing to be grasped. Now, the way you could think about it is just two main points here. Equality with God affirms that Jesus is God because God says, well, to whom will you compare me or who will be my equal? There's nobody equal with God except God the Son. Amen? And so to be equal with God is another affirmation that he is God. He couldn't be equal with God unless he was God. There's no equal, etc. But he did not grasp on to that equality. In what sense? Well, he could have held on to all of his prerogatives and he could have just stayed up in the glories of heaven with the Father, but then we'd all be in deep trouble. Amen? So he released his grip of the privileges to come down on a saving mission. And I think implied in this 
is the idea that we are to do the same. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Thanks for tuning in to Walk in Truth today. Did you know there's more where that came from? Download the Living Truth app to listen to more of Pastor Michael's teachings whenever you want. You can even watch videos. And if you're local to Southern California, you can get updates on church events, new studies, and more. Download the free Living Truth app today. Hello, I'm Rob Newton, producer of Walk in Truth with Pastor Michael Lance. Thank you to all our Walk in Truth partners for your financial support. We are over halfway through this year. And you have raised over $30,000 to support our mission of being on the radio and podcast equipping people with God's truth. Now, we have more opportunities to broadcast Walk in Truth on more radio stations. That means we can serve more communities with Pastor Michael's unique way of teaching through the Bible. Radio is still strongly used by people all over the world. Not everyone gets to use podcasts and stream on their phone, but radio in a car or at home is still free for listeners. Most listeners who reach out to Walk in Truth are listening on the radio. Now our audience is growing, and so are the opportunities. We would love to expand the program, and we need your help to do it. It costs thousands of dollars for airtime, and we could use more Walk in Truth partners. Are you blessed by Pastor Michael's teachings? Are you learning? Are you being challenged? We hope to reach more people like you. Would you please consider becoming a $20 monthly Walk in Truth partner? We are looking for at least 200 more listeners to help continue our mission to equip the body of Christ. Right now, our church and current Walk in Truth partners help pay the bills, but we would like to become fully funded by listeners. This will make it so what we have from the church can be used for expansion. Please sign up to become a Walk in Truth partner on walkintruth.com and click donate or call 844-48-TRUTH. Again, become a $20 monthly partner by visiting walkintruth.com and click donate or call 844-48-TRUTH. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. Equality with God affirms that Jesus is God because God says, well, to whom will you compare me or who will be my equal? There's nobody equal with God except God the Son. Amen? And so to be equal with God is another affirmation that he is God. He couldn't be equal with God unless he was God. There's no equal, etc. But he did not grasp on to that equality. In what sense? Well, he could have held on to all of his prerogatives and he could have just stayed up in the glories of heaven with the Father, but then we'd all be in deep trouble, amen? So he released his grip of the privileges to come down on a saving mission. And I think implied in this is the idea that we are to do the same. We can have rights and privileges. We can say, well, I deserve this or this belongs to me or whatever. But Jesus released the grip on those things to come down and save us. So whenever we're holding on to our rights, we're usually in trouble, especially if we're having a deep fellowship conversation with our spouse. Can I get a witness? Some of you got that. Intense fellowship, let's call it, right? And we, we talk about our rights and what I deserve. and uh, just, just plan on 
having the dog move over and make a little extra room for you and bring a blankie. See, Jesus was equal with the Father and the Holy Spirit by extension. And yet he didn't hold on to it. Though Christ had all the rights, privileges, and honors of deity, which he was worthy of and could never be disqualified from, his attitude was not to cling to those things of his position or use for his own advantage from a study Bible here, but to be willing to give them up for a season. And so Jesus is the ultimate example of having great privilege, but laying it aside for the sake and love of others. And notice what he did. He emptied himself, seven, taking on the form, that's the same word morphe there, of a bondservant and being made likeness in the likeness of men. Now what Jesus did is he emptied himself, and this is another word I want to give to you, those of you who are taking notes. It's kenao, K-E-N-O-O, kenao. And it is the theological word for kenosis or the self-emptying of Christ in his incarnation. Now, liberal theologians at the beginning of the last century came up with a heretical kenosis doctrine, a false teaching, where they said that when Jesus was incarnated, when he became a man, that's what incarnated means, when he took on flesh, he stopped being God. It's called the kenosis theory. And this is false. Because Jesus could not stop being God. God can never stop being who he is. Amen? He is God. So then what happened? Like when you read that he emptied himself or he made himself nothing, ESV, NIV, what does it mean? What did he lay aside or what did he empty of himself? And again, we've been hinting at it. That is the right and prerogatives of deity. Now there's a little debate in the church about how far to push this. For example, many of you have heard of the omni-attributes of God, omnipresence, omniscience, uh, om, omnipotent, etc. Was Jesus, did he have all of those attributes at his disposal when he was here? Some people say when the woman touched his, the hem of his garment and he said, who touched me? He, he really didn't know who touched him. When he talks about his second coming and he says only the Father knows, not even the angels or the Son, he really didn't know. And there's some people that say that's what he did. That's Philippians 2. He laid aside the prerogatives, so there's some things that he didn't know. We know for sure he wasn't omnipresent in his human form. We know he had to walk places. He got tired. The Bible says that God never sleeps nor slumbers, yet Jesus is sleeping in the New Testament. He got hungry. He felt pressure. He was born a, a Jewish male baby. He grew up in a nowhere town called Nazareth. He experienced pressure, suffering. He was uh, betrayed by those closest to him. We can go on and on. He experienced the fullness of what it means to be human because he was human and he is human. In fact, remember when Jesus rose from the dead, he invited the disciples to check out the scars in his hands and his side. Those were real scars. He was really physical. And when he ascends back into heaven, remember he ascends in his resurrection body so that scholars would argue that Jesus is forever the God-man. That in our understanding of what's taking place right now in his high priestly ministry. It is the God-man seated at the right hand of the Father 
who's interceding for us. It is the God-man who is coming again in the second coming, and it is the God-man that we will touch and perhaps hug, and he will literally physically wipe tears away from our eyes. This is how far the condescension goes. It would appear, walking this out, that Jesus, in making a decision to become human, will forever be human. And I'll tell you, that's not only humbling, but it's thrilling. Amen? Because the same Jesus that the disciples interacted with and touched and saw the scars, etc., we will do that as well. He is going to be physical. And there is such a beauty in knowing that I will get to touch him and look into his eyes. I mean, there's stuff that I, I don't even know if my words can bring it out. But that's the beauty of who our God is. We talked about his preexistence. Verse 7 talks about his humiliation. He made himself nothing. If you're taking notes, it's another big heading. He emptied himself. He chose to do it. He emptied himself. He took on the form of a bondservant. If you were with us a few weeks ago, we studied the bondservant in Exodus 21. And we learned that a a Hebrew servant could choose after seven years of service to stay with their master forever. Remember, if they declared, I love my master, I don't want to go anywhere. And then a formal ceremony would occur. Remember what it was? They would put the servant, the bondservant against a doorpost and they would take an awl, something like an ice pick, and they would pierce their ear, open up their ear, if you will, and then perhaps an earring would go there. And it would be an indication that they had chosen to be a voluntary slave of their master forever. I told you that many New Testament writers, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, James, a bondservant, Jude, a bondservant, etc., Peter, a bondservant of Christ. Do you know why they wrote that? At least in part because they got it from Christ, who said, I didn't come into, into the world to be served, but to serve. I am the ultimate bondservant. If you're going to follow me, this is what you ought to be as well. And I told you the imagery of the The all and the opening up of the ear is the bondservant says, whatever my master says, that's what I do. And I will be attached to this house forever. You've been listening to The Attitude of Christ, Part 2 on Walk in Truth. And that's Pastor Michael's teaching in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. And if you missed any part of today's program, you can always listen to Walk in Truth on our free Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, we have more opportunities to broadcast Walk in Truth on more radio stations. That means we can serve more communities with Pastor Michael's unique way of teaching through the Bible. Radio is still strongly used by people all over the world. Not everyone gets to use podcast and stream on their phone, but radio in the car or at home is still free for listeners. Most listeners who reach out to Walk in Truth are listening on the radio. Now, our audience is growing, and so are the opportunities. We would love to expand the program, and we need your help to do it. It costs thousands of dollars for airtime, and we could use more Walk in Truth partners. Are you blessed by Pastor Michael's teachings? Are you learning? Are you being challenged? We hope to reach more people like you. Would you please consider becoming a $20 monthly Walk in Truth partner? We're looking for at least 200 more listeners to help continue our mission to equip the body of Christ. Right now, our church and current Walk in Truth partners help pay the bills, but we'd love to become fully funded by listeners. 
This will make it so what we have from the church can be used for expansion. Please sign up to become a Walk in Truth partner on walkintruth.com and click donate or call 844-48-TRUTH. Again, become a $20 monthly partner by visiting walkintruth.com or click donate or call 844-48-TRUTH. Now, here's Pastor Michael with a final word. Now, you may be asking the question, how can I practically walk out what is here in Philippians chapter 2? That is a great question. And you know what? Right in the text, we're told what to do. We're to look out for the needs of others. We're to have a mindset of putting others first. And the key to that is to put God first, and then others will be the natural overflow. Because when you have God's heart, you'll have a heart for people. It's really not that complicated. And we're supposed to scope out the needs of others, have a mindset of loving others every day, one day at a time. It seems like an overwhelming task when we think of maybe, you know, way far down the road. But how about just right now that we can practically love others around us and have Christ attitude in us? So practically what it means, reaching out, Sometimes it just means an act of kindness. Sometimes it just means showing patience, manifesting the fruits of the Spirit. That's how you manifest the attitude of Christ, which is really the central theme of the book of Philippians. This is Pastor Michael Lance. You're listening to Walk in Truth. We're so glad that you've been walking through the book of Philippians with us. It is an amazing book, and we're so glad that you're with us. We will see you right here tomorrow for more in Philippians 2. God bless you. And join us tomorrow for part three of Pastor Michael Lance's teaching in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, called The Attitude of Christ. I'm Mike Massaro, and thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.